Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man, most important podcast in America. Two brothers uh, talk about every view of Spider-Man that was done by the original. And it's a lot of pressure on us that the entire country and most of the world depends on this podcast. It's a lot of pressure, but I think so far we've lived up to that. Yeah, it's... um... It's frustrating sometimes to have the burden of the nation's identity on you, but uh, so far we have not shirked on our duty. Yeah, it, it's nice that so far we've been 100% successful. Yeah, that's reassuring. But, you know, still, it's you get anxious. Kevin, did I tell you that Barack Obama called me the other day? Again? Yeah, I know. It's well, just like, do something else. Get a job is what I told him. But, like, he... Um, he was just saying how great our master planner saga episode. Yeah. I mean, I was over at the uh, uh, EU. They wanted me to come and meet with a lot of the world leaders and just sort of talk about. You were over these, in Brussels? Yeah, I was in Brussels. And they wanted to talk about these last few issues. Just like they're nervous that maybe the podcast wouldn't be as good. Sure, sure. Uh, because hey, these issues aren't as strong. And I sort of had to say, like, you know, I'm doing my best. This podcast was a lark. Yeah. Well, it's fair for them to ask. I mean, um, sure. I mean, they flew me out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I think they're scaredy cats and I look down on them, but yeah, I I don't begrudge them for asking. Um, So uh, what's so uh, what's uh, other facts? My name is Will Hines. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My name is Kevin Hines. And we are brothers and we are performers at the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on opposite coast. I'm in the uh, L.A. branch. Kevin is in the city branch. And um we're lifelong fans of Spider-Man, and in particular, these early issues. And so this podcast, every every episode, pretty much, we do an issue of Spider-Man from the old days. And this episode, we're going to do issue 36. That's right. A May 1966 uh, issue of Spider-Man, the th- uh, third to last issue that Ditko worked on. Yeah, the third to last issue that Steve Ditko, the original artist, who's the co-creator, who at this point is... The main architect, he's doing pretty much, he's writing the stories, everything but the dialogue. Yeah, uh, yeah and and uh, also, which means that we're getting near the end of this uh, podcast and or right. this season of this podcast. Right. Um, at least the season, maybe the whole shebang. Um, yeah, and, how, and uh, how do you feel about, um, how do you feel about the podcast coming to an end and Ditko's run coming to an end, Kevin? Um, well, I, I'm looking forward to the break from doing the podcast. Uh, it's been, uh, it's a lot to do it every week, but uh, I will miss doing it, uh, talking to you regularly because we won't talk at all once this is over. I refuse. Um, so, you know, mixed feelings. Uh, these issues, uh, I mean, this issue is sort of a dud. Yeah. I know. Uh, so funny. <laughs> uh, the next issue, next couple issues I think are also sort of just duds. There's <laughs> yeah. good moments, but like, um, these are probably some of the weakest issues and they're coming off of the strongest issues. Yeah. I really think yeah. if you had moved these issues earlier, they still would have felt like duds. Yeah, they. I agree. I think it's almost good that they're here because we can sort of rationalize that Ditko's basically checked out emotionally. Yeah. And uh, that's why they're, they sort of don't have as much to them as some of the other stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, just leaping into it, I was just looking at what's going on in the Marvel Universe just in case something was going on. Yeah. Um, it's we don't always do it because most of the time I look up and it's just like, oh, nothing. But right yeah. now in Fantastic Four, it's the Galactic Saga. Oh, wow. So, so some of the 
one of the some of the best issues in Marvel Comics history is going yeah, on over there. It's sort of wrapping up this month is the Galactus story. And so it's just like, oh yeah. So Stan, Stan's energy is elsewhere. I mean, like the best Marvel comic was Spider Man. That's also sort of amazing to imagine that Master Planner Saga and Galactus overlapped that much. Yeah, uh, like the the, the uh, creative team of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, uh, as well as anybody else in Marvel who was helping, was really at a peak. Yeah, and um, Fantastic Four uh, next month will be This Man, This Monster. Oh, man, it's maybe the single greatest Fantastic Four story ever. Yeah, so like right now, if you're reading Spider-Man, jump over to Fantastic Four. Yeah, um, if you're, if you're going to take a time machine and go back in time to read this issue of Spider-Man, don't be a fool. Use a time machine and go back in time to read the issues of Fantastic Four. That's what you should do. That's right. Once a Master Planner Saga ends, you should make that jump to Fantastic Four and see what you've been missing out on, because those are some great books, too. Um, but it also, I think, just serves to show, like, the drop in quality of the story when, like, that's happening over there. And, yeah, maybe Stan is phoning it in on these issues because they don't feel that great to him, and he's also working on these issues that feel amazing to him. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's, but, you know, it's kind of interesting when you read the dud. Like, one of the reasons I like this podcast is since we're going over every single Steve Ditko issue is the dud issues reveal stuff about him that the good issues kind of hide. Like, I'm fascinated by Steve Ditko, so I'm curious to know about him. And if if learning about him means reading some of his kind of weaker issues, I'll do it. Because it's like, what is still present when he's phoning it in? Uh, what are the tropes that he turns to? Yeah. Um, and, and and also what is still good, like the art is still often beautiful and there are still, you can see the, you can see like the seeds of what could have been a really cool story that he maybe just didn't finish cooking or something like that. That's kind of interesting. Oh, here's something else that's going on okay. in the Marvel Universe. At the uh, time John Romita Jr. Is, or John Romita Sr., sorry. John Romita Sr. is the artist on Daredevil right now. Okay. And Spider-Man is guest starring, which... According to, I believe, Untold, the, Unt the Untold Marvel story, and I've read it elsewhere, yeah. that Stan saw the writing on the wall that he might be losing Ditko and was trying Romita out to see how he'd do with Spider-Man. Smart. So right now, unbeknownst to Romita, he's being auditioned to be the new Spider-Man artist. Oh, that's it. Uh, yeah, also in this issue that we're about to read, Spidey in his um, hanging out with his college classmates, or rather Peter Parker, is starting to talk more like 60s cool, which to me is like one of the hallmarks of the Lee Romita era. The next era of Spidey comics is like teenage, is like college age, groovy Peter Parker hanging out at the coffee bean. Yeah. And I could see like seeds of that showing up and that's really hilarious. It's interesting that Peter's not talking to any of his colleagues, just like Stan and Steve aren't talking. Yeah. And another thing that's interesting to think about is like, it's, it's very easy to assume, oh, I wish Ditko stayed. He was so great. The, you know, I wonder what other amazing stories he would have had, no pun intended by saying. But um, it's also like he might have been out of gas and his own emotional limitations, since she was such a known sort of social hermit, might have eventually hampered this. It's like, how can Peter Parker have emotional relationships when Ditko doesn't have any? Yeah, I wonder if Spider-Man would have stayed great if like Stan put lots of extra work into it and yeah. like sat down with Ditko for each issue and sort of like listened to him and worked with him and just kind of like shirked other duties to work on Spider-Man. I bet it would have stayed great for a while longer. Makes sense. But Here's would you give up the rest of the Marvel universe for one title? I mean, if you're gonna, Spidey's the one to bank on. Right? Yeah. But I mean, I think Stan was looking bigger than that. Yeah. Another thing to think about is what if Stan had focused on Spidey, like you're saying, 
And that makes Ditko change his life. Like maybe Ditko would have like changed his temperament for the sake of Spidey stories. Like if he realized, boy, I need to research, you know, having a girlfriend. So I know, <laughs> so I know what it's like for Peter. Like I could, I could imagine that happening. I mean, it's somewhere guys, there's the world's worst heartwarming movie to be made out of Steve Ditko being motivated to change his life around for the sake of his work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or he just becomes worse because now he's being catered to as he expects to be. That's true. Um, okay, so that's what's going on in the Marvel Universe. Stan Lee dies like five years after this issue because it takes so much out of him. Yeah, it's the world's worst. Steve uh, Ditko's cameoing in all the Marvel movies. I want to do a what if series where instead of wondering what happens to the fictional characters, it's what if for the creators of the Marvel Universe. What if Jack Kirby was given intellectual property over his character? Then he becomes like in a, in a real American life, a Lex Luthor like corporate evil man he becomes evil yeah wow what a uh, what twist if, yeah yeah what if chris claremont writes the x-men movie um you know what if what if uh marie severin is um allowed to draw spider-man stuff like that yeah it'd be uh, the world's least popular what if incarnation i mean i think it's it's the time for that movement um <laughs> let's uh do we have any podcast news or spider-man news yes oh um we have no podcast news but the spider-man news is i played the spider-man video game Oh, I have Spider-Man news too. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to say what yours is? And then I'll yeah, I bought it. a PlayStation and a Spider-Man game. Oh, you bought it? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't resist any longer. <laughs> I didn't so, know that. <laughs> so if, uh, this weekend I went out. I thought, of, I thought about doing it. I uh, this weekend I, I went out and bought a PlayStation and bought Spider-Man. And I guess when I finish Spider-Man. I will sell the PlayStation. <laughs> so have you started playing? Yeah, it's so much fun. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that you I'm so glad that you did. Um uh, so I'll just I'll let the listeners in. I mean, obviously everyone who listened to this would know that there is a Spider-Man video game for the PlayStation 4 and it's like hugely popular, I'm sure. Of course you've heard about it. But um in relation to Kevin and I, uh I went and neither he nor I had a video game system. That's right. Not, and 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 neither you or I are really big video game players in general, so it's not. This isn't the kind of thing that we normally would incorporate into our lives, right? Like we haven't played the Batman uh, video game that's very popular, yeah, uh, or Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption. These are big games I know from my friends. Yeah, uh, I haven't played any of them, but because um, it's Spider Man, of course, and we're doing this podcast, um, I was extra interested in the Spider Man game. My friend Alex Berg out here in LA, another UCB guy, had the game. And so I went over to his place and played it for like four hours. And it, as advertised, was incredibly fun. Plus I had Alex there kind of teaming and guide me through it. I'm, I'm not really good at video games, so I had sort of a slow learning curve. But um, it was a truly beautiful and immersive experience. And I took some photos of the screen and sent them to Kevin. And I, as I was playing Kevin, I was like, Kevin would absolutely love this. It's right up your alley. And yeah. And, and just the web swinging alone is almost worth the game. That's the best part of the game is just swinging around the city because it also you can't you can't really mess that part up. Yeah, they have a nice design thing where it doesn't really let you hurt yourself if you are inept at controlling Spidey. Yeah, and it always looks like it was part of his plan. Yeah, like you could jump off the top of the Empire State Building, soar all the way to the ground, and when you get to the ground, it just lands in a squat as if that was like a normal jump. Yeah, and if you like run into like fire escapes, he just sort of swings through them, and he just looks cool. It's like, oh, I just didn't see those. 
Yeah, it makes your inept inept mistakes look like super cool agility moves. Yeah, so that that part's really fun. I'm uh, getting better at stopping crime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Car chases are um, impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stop them. Every time a car is stolen, I just watch it drive away from me and I get shot a few times and then they're gone. Now, people who haven't played this, I mean, there's so many great details about this game. One of which, Kevin, which you mentioned on a previous episode, is that the difficulty levels of the game are the easiest one is called friendly, like friendly neighborhoods. Which is what I'm playing on. The medium one is amazing. And then the hardest one is called spectacular. All obviously taken from Spidey, Spidey terms. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was playing unfriendly also. Uh, I caught up to a car once, uh, but I I couldn't land on it. Uh, I've caught up to them. I uh, So I've probably done like 12 car chases and 11 of them have gotten away completely. <laughs> uh, and one I stopped and that was last night. And it felt like the biggest achievement in, in the world to me. <laughs> and then another car chase happened and I didn't even try. I was like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to imagine, like, as I was ineptly piloting Spider-Man, what my Spider-Man looked like in that world. It'd be like, he's just given up. Or it's like, he's swinging away from the battle. He keeps, like, jumping over to the wrong side of the building. Like, what's wrong with Spider-Man? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty good at fighting the uh, criminals. Every once in a while, they kill me. Uh, but yeah. it's a nice game because, like, you just reload. Yeah. It's 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 very forgiving to the for the learning curve process. And Have it's smart would, too. There's moments where J. Jonah Jameson comes on his radio show and talks about how I let somebody get away. That's so funny. He's like, yeah. so the so the car's getting stolen and Spider Man's just watching it happen. And I'm like, Yeah, I guess so. True, yeah. JJJ is absolutely right. Yeah, JJJ has like a right wing radio talk show that you can listen to that comes on as as you're as you're playing. Plus, there's a Twitter feed. Spidey has a Twitter feed, and you can see people tweeting at you. Yeah, I haven't read too much of that. That's uh, I'm trying to buy all the costumes because that's fun. Yeah. Um, Are you getting the backpacks? I'm collecting backpacks. I've turned on all the city sensors. It's such a weird game. There's so many backpacks. Um, there's like one on the very top of Avengers Tower. I'm like, why did I put it there? Yeah, but that's a fun conceit. Like, and, and again, in case people don't know what we're saying, what are the conceits of the game is that it it tells you that as Peter Parker, you have hidden backpacks all around the city. And so you as Spider-Man have to kind of go retrieve them in order to get your stuff back. There's no practical reason for that. But what it makes you do is to explore the city and sort of practice your web agility and you get in it and it gamifies that process. Yeah. And collecting those things gives you tokens that can be traded in for more costumes and stuff. That's a good way to force you to like learn yeah. the, the geography of Manhattan and stuff. Um, yeah, it's very fun. There's also like a section where I played as Mary Jane, which surprised me. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I like that you get to be Peter Parker sometimes. Just, it's fun. It's a fun game. Uh, oh, I'm really excited that you got it. And I'm jealous. And that might make me get it. It's, it's, it. it's ridiculous. I basically looked at my wife one night. I was like, I think I'm going to buy a PlayStation tomorrow. <laughs> and she was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and I can't really play it during the day when my son's home. So I'm basically playing at like 1030 to 1130 and then I go to sleep and it's all I do at night and it's going to ruin my life in some ways. Eh, temporarily, temporarily. Life. Maybe forever. When Beatles Rock Band came out, I bought a refurbished Xbox and all of the instruments just so I could play Beatles Rock Band. So yeah, so you've got the um, the rep for doing this. Yeah, but you've, you've, you've out... You've out outlandished me. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, and then it makes me go, oh, maybe I should get other games, but I think I won't. I think when this is done, I'll be too exhausted. Yeah. It's just so much time to sink into these games, even though they are so well designed. Um, 
So Spider-Man, the game, the game looks beautiful. Like the daytime sunset and night views are all incredible. Uh, the geography of New York City is, you know, really accurate. I mean, yeah, it's pretty accurate. The buildings are taller, I think, a little bit here and there, and they're clustered together a little bit more, which is necessary for web slinging to facilitate web slinging. Also, there's plenty of water towers, which makes it look like old Ditko yeah. things. I just did a, a sequence ride to plug up leaks on water towers, and it was just great to see so many water towers. Yeah, and um, and that's really fun. And um, in in the fights, some of the sort of like built-in things that you're allowed to do. One of one of them is to shoot your web at a crook and then pull yourself towards him. Yeah. Uh, and so that way, if you're far away from a crook in one, just by hitting this one button, you can whip yourself over to him and then punch him. And it ends up looking like incredibly agile and cool, but you, the player, are just hitting a button. Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly just mashing buttons. I, I have very little control of myself, but yeah. it still looks pretty good. If someone was watching and not hearing me go to mash these buttons wildly, yeah, uh, it would mostly look like I knew what I was doing. Yep. And the spider sense is nice because I, I always forget to dodge in these games. So it's like reminding me, it's like, dodge, you idiot. And I still yeah. don't all the time. I get shot a lot. Yeah. Um, well, as everybody is saying, it's a really fun game. And I guess we both we both agree with that. Yeah, it's fun. I don't can't compare it to other games, um, but it's uh, it's it's uh, it does make me feel a little bit like Spider-Man. I do turn it off. And for a moment, like in my head, I'm like, I want to, like, run up a building and shoot webs. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the only other video game you would buy would be a Gru video game, right? I would buy a Gru video game. Gru the Wanderer, Sergio, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Argon. Arg- I've always said Aragnos, but I'm sure that's completely wrong. Um, I would buy a Gru game. I would I'd love a Gru movie, to be honest. An animated Gru movie would be my, that'd make me the happiest person in the world. Hollywood. Also, be, I have a kid. Hollywood would be so weird if we were in charge of it. Another a Gru movie would be like a spoof of Conan animated i don't know who that's aimed at really <laughs> me i guess and uh, and 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 a few people yeah but oh, i would love it crew is still funny when they still do comics uh, uh, less regularly and i still love every issue um should we get into this insane issue that we're supposed to be talking about yeah let's let's zip through this uh looter issue that's the villain of this issue the looter so this is a subpar Ditko issue. Uh, there is some beautiful art. There's some good moments. But in general, this is a dud of an issue. Uh, the title of it is When Falls the Meteor. Kev, what do you think of the cover? It's okay. Yeah. Um, it, it is the most cinematic moment from the issue of him leaping through what turns out to be like a model of like a solar system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, <laughs> I guess if I saw this cover, I wouldn't. It looks like they've shrunk to like microscopic size and are leaping around atoms. But um, Spider-Man sort of leaping through the rings of this solar system and getting punched in the face by the looter who's holding a flashlight. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought this villain, when I started to read it was called the meteor. Cause the title is when falls the meteor. This is a guy who gets his powers from a meteor that falls in a field, but that's not his name. His name is the looter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He eventually becomes the meteor man for a little while. I looked him up um, to see how many other stories there are. There's not a ton. But he becomes a meteor man. And I think the Wikipedia entry was like, after this story, it's like, after that, mostly failure or something like that. Yeah. He's not a successful villain. Yeah. Um, it's funny that Spider-Man is such a popular comic that even these like characters that there's no need to bring back all get brought back. Yeah. Um, it's like if you play trumpet on the Beatles song Penny Lane, you have a career the rest of your life. If you're a, if you're a dud villain in an early Spider-Man comic, you'll be around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the looter is never quite done. But yeah, let's uh, dig into this issue. Okay, so uh, 
I love, okay, so the, the issue is bad, but given that it's bad, it really makes me laugh a tremendous amount over like <laughs> how shallow and evil our bad guy is. Yes. He's so funny to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it almost feels like it should have been a comedy issue, but then it's not quite funny enough after like this first page to play that up. Like if you just followed the looter and he was just sort of inept the whole time. Yeah. I'd probably enjoy it more because this first page, he looks like he's a fool. Yeah. It's like the basic thing is a guy finds a meteor. He's been looking for it because he wants to be a famous scientist, not for this, not for the pursuit of knowledge, but for fame and fortune, you know, like every scientist gets famous. Yeah, that's right. The easiest way to become famous is science. But it's also revealed, I mean, everything you learn about this guy makes him funnier. Yeah. Like first a meteor falls and he discovers it. This could be one of a million characters who comes upon a supernatural thing and it like corrupts an every man. But he's already a jerk, you know? Like he has no plan. His plan is like, if I find a meteor, maybe I'll be able to make a discovery that turns me famous and rich. Well, he picks up the meteor and he says, with this, I might solve the riddle of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure why he thinks this meteor was the solution, but he's convinced. He starts He starts looking for people to back him financially. He somehow gets into a laboratory full of scientists, but they don't want to deal with him because they're working on a formula for a new hair tonic. Yeah, and he's just walking around with this meteor in his hand. <laughs> then he goes to a loan off a bank um, office to get a loan, and they—I mean, from what I can tell—sensibly deny him a loan. Yeah, um, he says that he's going to be as famous as Darwin, Galileo, Aristophanes, which I, I actually don't think any of them were wealthy. But um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> then we—they're not known for being rich; they're known for being smart. The guy's name is Norton G. Fester, which yep. is. So funny. And also that that's the type of name that I associate with, first of all, 1960s science fiction short stories like Philip K. Dick short stories. I feel like would have people named Norton G. Fester or like or like Heinlein stories or Bradbury, not Bradbury, but like maybe Asimov. It'd be like Norton G., you know, you push or even early Stephen King stories like a Norton G. Fester, you know, none of the ladies liked him. Yeah. And then he, that's a that's and, a that's a lot to handle a name like that in your life. Yeah, and it also reminds me of sort of a Will Eisner type of name, the comics creator Will Eisner. I feel like when he would do his everyman stories, it would always be like Floyd Schmuck walked around the corner or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a Eisner quality to the start of the story too. Like when we get to page two, I feel like it's his origin is kind of feels like a, a spirit story. Yeah, uh, the bottom panel on page one makes me laugh so much. He's he's he's. <laughs> yeah, me too. He's got like a hammer and a chisel or something, and he's but he's gonna pound into the meteor to try to examine it. And he's thinking, just because I flunked science in school doesn't mean I can't discover the secret of the universe. I have as yeah. much chance as anyone else. What a so what a funny thing to learn at the end of page one. Yeah, so this guy is talking about becoming a famous scientist throughout the page, and he flunked science. And his plan is to just hammer at the meteor and maybe discover something. And he's not just looking to discover, like, you know, a thing, like, oh, maybe a uh, a, a mold that could be an antibody, a la penicillin, or right. or the some particle from space that doesn't exist on Earth, and that might be interesting chemically. You could add it to the- Yeah, just some sort of unknown material is what you would think you could maybe find from this meteor. Not really. He's carried around Earth so long. Whatever's on there has been contaminated. Yeah, he, but 
but he, he's looking for the secret to the universe. And then the caption here at the on the panel, the bottom of page one is so funny from Stan. You guessed it, friend. NGF is a part-time nut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and when you get to page two, it becomes full on comedy because he hammers this chisel and just gets gassed right in the face. A huge gas doesn't go everywhere. It just hits him in the face like you got like I shot a hose at you. It looks like in the Iron Man movies when the Jarvis robot sprays a fire extinguisher on Tony Stark. You know? Yeah, it's a comedy moment. Um, uh, but as as is usually true in 1960s superhero comics, any chemical or radiation or accident that should kill a man instead turns him into a superpowered being. And that's what happens here. The green gas that comes out of the meteor turns Norton G. Fester into a super strong dude, right? Yeah, and like Molten Man and like the uh, – uh, a guy named Joe in a couple issues. He's just strong. There's nothing else to this guy. He's strong and he wants bags of money. That's your that's your standard yep. default Spider-Man villain in the Ditko era. So we see I mean, he spends the he spends the rest of the issue just lift uh, the rest of the page just lifting things. Yeah, we see demonstrations of his strength. We see him looking evilly and scheming. So then we cut back to we cut to Peter. And as and Stan by the way, Stan Lee last issue in the in the Moltman issue, I felt like Stan was like totally checked out. Um, he, he is back up to his old tricks where he's like making fun of the story when he thinks it's boring. Yeah. I mean, he still doesn't seem to like the story very much. No. Uh, he didn't like last issue. He doesn't like this issue. I skimmed ahead. He definitely doesn't like the last issue Ditko does. Like the, again, on page one, the, uh, sixth panel, the second to last panel, it starts off with, but Norton G. Fester is not the type to take no for an answer. Parentheses. If he were, this would be the shortest Spider-Man tale on record. Like that kind of like yeah. meta observation is when Stan, I think, isn't feeling it. Yeah, especially if that happens more than once in an issue, which it does in this one. Can you imagine if like movies always had a narrator and the narrator would occasionally come in and look out over the fourth wall and be like, what's this about? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, that, that took long enough you know, or something. Yeah. Finally get into the action. <laughs> yeah. And then the last, uh, last panel on page three, after we've spent all this time with the looter, not the meteor. Uh, Stan's cap. Right before we cut to Peter, Stan says, "Now, before some brand ech dropout suggests that we change the name of this mag to the Amazing Fester Man, we switch our scene to the campus of Empire State U, where we find peerless Peter Parker engaged in one of his silent swinging soliloquies." He's getting more and more into his alliteration. This is page four, actually. Uh, yeah, um, it's okay. I wasn't counting this. Page. I forgive you. Thank you. I forgive you. Um, so all my page numbers have been wrong. What I, what I was calling page one is page two. That's right. Okay, so this is page four. So yeah, we're we're Peter on college. You know what? I love the subplot. I don't love it, but it's like a relief. Uh, it's okay. I mean, I like the idea of it. I feel like it all, like last issue, it feels a little rushed and not quite, it's not quite sinking in. It's not, um, it's not having the effect that these subplots had in the earlier issues. Yeah, it's changing into something else. Like in the early issues of Spider-Man, Peter Parker was like basically tragically bullied, like psychotically bullied by his classmates uh, to sort of like emotionally justify how sad he was and stuff. And you're right. That was actually very moving. I mean, it was seems sort of like, you know, overstated and sort of crazy, but like it did create the emotional feeling of what you might feel like when you were a kid in high school. The whole world's again now. Yeah. Peter's and the sequence that's coming up has like weird moments where Peter thinks one thing. I don't know. We'll get into it just in a second. But like uh, Let's get into he, he, everyone's ignoring him. Yes. Because he's been uh, and so, saving his aunt's life and stuff. Yeah. He's been too busy worried about his dying aunt to do the important thing of socializing. Yeah. So everyone hates him. Um, and Gwen Stacy is talking to her friend Sally 
uh, Green, yep. it seems like. And Sally Green's like, hey, I'm going to go talk to Peter. And Gwen's like, he's not going to talk to you. This guy's a real dud. Yeah, that's an issue of concern for all the students of Empire State. And so she goes up and she's talking to Peter and Peter's being friendly and she's digging him. Yeah. And he's happy. Uh, he's smiling. And then she makes a comment that she's going to invite him to this party. She'd love to have a brain there instead of a bunch of jocks. And he gets mad at her about that. It doesn't get he gets mad in his thought balloons and says, nah, I'm not going to go to this party. Um, I know this is all dumb, but it's such a relief for me just to see Peter like the looter is so stupid that it's still like a step up just to have a character that I at least associate some good stuff with. A couple things here. Sally Green is wearing an all green dress. So a woman who's wearing head to toe green walks up to Peter and says, hi, I'm Sally Green, as if she's like a board game character. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, I I don't know if the dialogue happens after the coloring or not, so I don't know who to blame for that. I just don't really like this idea that Peter thinks to himself, oh, not again. Will I always be thought of as nothing but an egghead? She's flattering him. She's saying she likes that he's smart. Well, you're right that that's kind of lame. But then he ties it back to Betty Brant like he doesn't want someone. Right. If that had hit immediately, it feels like you get to that in the last panel. It's like, go back and rewrite that first thought balloon. She looks a little bit like Betty. Yeah. If he thought to himself, he's like, oh, she sort of reminds me of Betty. Yeah, I don't want I can't spend time with her. If you thought that in this thought balloon. Yeah, I'm 100 percent on board at this moment. He's lovesick. Yeah, he's just getting off a bad breakup. He doesn't want to hang out with a Betty clone. She does sort of look like Betty. Yeah. Um, it just feels like this was a first draft that like if you went back and just tweak some of these lines, some of these, especially the subplot stuff just works better. I think you're right. Uh, one thing I do like is that we are. Or I don't know. If my one thing I do like like in quotes is the groovy 60s talk is starting to show up here. Like on the fir- on the bottom of page four, when we first see Peter and he's realizing that everybody is friends without him, he says, better late than never. I'll start making with the charm now. Uh, things like making with the charm. And, um, you know, I feel like people are going to start saying things like first class drip. Yeah. And the next page, like, Sally says, I tip my wig to you. <laughs> what? I tip my wig to you, lady. You had him pegged 100% right. Um. Uh, I, I love all that talk. Like, I can't wait for the Peter gang. To oh, man. It gets to be out. too, too much. I don't know. It's kind <laughs> and of the Ramita issues. Um, but anyway, now we get back to the action packed looter <laughs> who is <clears throat> wearing a costume, calling himself the looter to buy himself, as he says, precious seconds when robbing this bank. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last panel on page six is so funny. He's in the middle of a bank robbery and he thinks it was a stroke of genius to employ this costume. And the name Looter, the shock value alone earns me precious seconds. Um, as if he's the first person in this universe to think of an alias in a costume. Because in the Marvel Universe, that's every fifth person. Yeah, you'd be more surprised if a guy not in a costume did this. Yeah, if he just walked in with him, just, like letting everybody see his face or whatever. He also seems to have built a gun that shoots like light rays. This this character basically feels like it should be in a Blue Beetle issue. It is very Blue Beetle. Yeah, the the, the light gun feels Blue Beetle. Yeah, because Blue Beetle carried like a, a gun that shot like compressed air, I think. Yeah. And uh, like this villain sort of just feels flimsy and sort of rushed. And it feels like that's how all the Blue Beetle issues read to me. This feels already like a Blue Beetle story. Uh, yeah. And um, the panel at the bottom of page seven, which just shows, I guess, a montage of or what's supposed to represent a montage of him robbing all these banks. Yeah, he robs a bunch of places. Um, he thinks to himself how he was born to be a looter. It's like, you were not yeah, born to be a looter. You got gassed. <laughs> yeah, you you got a freak power, and you're using it in the least imaginative way possible. Uh, and then we cut to, like, Spider-Man looking for the looter. We don't even see, I feel like in old comics, we would have heard, seen Peter learn about the looter. 
Yeah, he would be hanging around his high school friends. They'd be reading the newspaper and he'd learn about, I'd learn about it at the Bugle. And I, I don't know that those moments, I think, are missing and hurt this issue overall. Yeah. Um, it makes it all so feel rushed and clippy. Uh, we learn that the looter is run out of gas from his meteor. So he needs another meteor. <laughs> I guess like all meteors have gas. And so even that, summer. like we don't see a moment where like his powers are waning or that he had to like regas himself. No. And like he still seems to have power throughout this issue. So all that stuff is sort of just feels rushed. I wouldn't mind it if this gas gave him just temporary powers. He had to keep blasting himself in the face. That'd be great. <laughs> but it, we don't see that. It's just sort of said to us. So I'm not even sure. It just doesn't fully work for me. But yeah, so he has to just, he decides he has to steal more meteors because they all contain gas. Page nine is got everything bad and good about this comic, I think. Uh, Peter's at this museum where there happens to be a meteor. So the looter shows up to steal the meteor. But also Gwen Stacy is there wondering why Peter is not paying attention to her. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so Gwen is like glowering at Peter and she's thinking, I'd hoped he'd see me and come over to me. But he's studying those displays like they're pinups. It's uh, it is nice that she's at a science museum. You wouldn't have seen Liz Allen alone at a science museum or even Betty Brandt. Yep. Meanwhile, the looter is outside the window and he thinks to himself, he looks inside and he sees a, a meteor on display. That's what I'm looking for. The new meteor. If it contains a gas pocket, I got to have it to ensure my power. And then he crashes. He jumps through the window, yeah. lands on the floor and has the best sentence in the book. Disperse, you weaklings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Disperse, you weaklings is what he says as he leaps in. This guy is a ridiculous <laughs> character. <laughs> I mean, he was an idiot who flunked science like last week or something. Yep. And now, now he's so cocky already. <laughs> I love him. I mean, I, you know what? I admire him. I admire the confidence. Yeah. Um, so Peter runs away to turn into Spider-Man, which is a bad move because Gwen notices. And now Peter looks like a coward. Which is the biggest sin you can commit in the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko universe. Uh, to run away from anything ruins your reputation among your friends. There's no explanation. Yeah, I mean, it just happens in uh, all these comics. Uh, like Fantastic Four would happen all the time. I, I strongly remember an issue where Reed Richards runs away to go work on an adventure, an invention, and the thing and the Human Torch and Sue are all like, ah, Reed's turned coward. It's like, no, God, don't you know him by now? Uh, we get into what is a decent enough but pretty plain Jane punching match between Spidey and the looter. Yeah, I mean, when this guy's powers are just being strong and seemingly not as strong as the Molten Man who had a boring yeah. fight against Spider-Man last month, yeah. there's not much to it. The the little light ray gun that dazzles people at least adds some interesting colors to the to the pages, some sort of cool color scheme. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man foils that by just closing his eyes. <laughs> um. But the looter does escape somehow, I think, because Spidey had to protect some innocent people. Uh, and then when Peter tries to talk to Gwen after the exhibit, she wants nothing to do with him. He's an unmitigated coward. Yeah, and she, she doesn't say that to him, so he doesn't quite know why she's mad at him. Yeah. She's just sort of like, uh, you know, Peter says, hi, Gwen, enjoying the exhibit? And she goes, I was until now, Parker. The classic icicles on the bottom of the speech balloon yeah. that shows us how mad He's like, what's wrong? What did I do? Perhaps it's what you didn't do. And I guess I guess Gwen wanted Peter Parker to fight the looter. Uh, yes, I don't know what she, I guess to, or to protect her or to protect innocent. people. But they hadn't even spoken. He didn't even know she was there. Most people should have been running away from the super strong guy bursting into the museum. He told the weaklings to disperse. <laughs> yeah, and so Peter dispersed. Um, 
The panel four on page 14 is really fun. Peter thinks to himself, how can anyone so pretty be such a nut? <laughs> and then Gwen thinks, hard to believe anyone so manly looking could be a coward. I mean, this we got some we got some good comic book soap opera going. I mean, they are very attracted to each other physically and hate each yeah. other and all other aspects. Ditko's, the eyeballs that Ditko are drawing are getting bigger and bigger in these close-ups. Uh, the people are starting to look like anime characters. Uh, Gwen's eyebrows are always so, uh, they're thick and sharp, and she it makes her look mad at him all the time. She looks a little evil. She's got these Joan Crawford eyebrows. She looks like a silent movie diva who's come to, like, choke her young rival with her bare hands or something. Um, it's amazing to think that they start dating and they he, they warm up to each other, but also Betty's not, I mean, uh, Peter keeps talking about how lovesick he is with Betty, but then he's sort of like, Thinks about Gwen every time he sees her. So, you know, I think you're over her, buddy. You're over her, buddy. Um, so uh, the looter has to, is foiled by Spidey. So he has to plan a different attack to try to get this meteor. And his plan is to wait until they're moving it. And so there's not as many people around. But Spider-Man was also waiting and they have another fight. Yeah. Uh, the looter decided to case the joint first instead of just bursting in and grabbing stuff. Yeah. Um, and by doing that, he learns that the easiest way to get it will be when they move it. Um, so they have their they have their final fight where he does get the meteor, I think. I guess he picks it up and then immediately throws it at Spider-Man. So I don't quite know why. Like Spider-Man comes in at the bottom of page 16. Uh, hey, looter, you wouldn't leave uh, without saying bye bye to your old sparring partner, would you? Uh, and then the looter throws a meteor at him. <laughs> Um, yeah, he immediately gives up what he's been fighting for weeks to have. I mean, he claims then, he needs it for his power, which is, I think, why that it, none of it really makes sense. None of it clicks, which hurts an already weaker story. Like, just imagine if this story was just like Spider-Man having to deal with this buffoonish looter while trying to get his college life back in order. That'd be fun. So funny. Be so funny. You could make this a really fun story. Uh, the leader has a like a hot air balloon that he uses to escape. It like jets him up into the sky. And uh, just to interrupt again, like he, that's the sort of thing maybe would have been ironed out if Ditko came in with a story idea, sat down with uh, Stan. Yeah. Maybe Stan thinks of like, oh, let's give the looter a different power. Yeah. Uh, if he's going to be fumbling, let's like make that. Let's have some more slapstick moments. Or maybe he's running out of power. So this is like his last ditch escape effort. Like he's actually got no strength up there. So. Yeah. Um, but none of that really comes through. None of that's none of that's true. And uh, it's kind of a little bit of a vulture fight where Spidey is in the air fighting with a guy who's flying, sort of. And it's sort of floating. I mean, he's fought the vulture. This is nothing. <laughs> um, it's rough when the old man with wings is a tougher opponent than you and your helium balloon. And your super strength. But Spidey kind of, you know, webs up to him floating up of New York City and beats the crap out of him pretty easily. And he's... You know, he unmasks him to see that he's nobody, which has happened a couple times before in Spidey comics. <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, it's like the third. Yeah, it just ends very quickly. Unmasks him. This guy floats down. Spider Man shines his spider light on him, and it goes. Tune in next week for robots. <laughs> Coming next, the menace of the rampaging robots. Nuff said. Now I'm realizing that whenever Stan said "Nuff said," you know, it was a classic Stan Lee phrase. It was enough seconds. He's like, well, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I've skimmed the next two issues. I do think next issue is the best of these dud issues. Okay, that's cool. Um, but that's not, that's faint praise. Just because those robots aren't just a strong dude. The other three, it's Molten Man, this guy, and a guy named Joe. They're just punching dudes. Punching dudes. All right, so let's give our awards, Kevin. What's your favorite panel? Uh, my favorite panel is, uh, I'm flipping to find it. 
I think it's it's the one that's inspired this cover. It's on page 12. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the top one where he's leaping through the solar system at the looter. It's a nice oh, yeah. wide panel. It's well drawn. Uh, it doesn't belie how dumb this issue is. So I like it. Right. I'll do page 19, panel five, another wide panel where Spidey's kind of sitting on the looter side saddle high above New York City and punching him. That was nice. Man, I wish that happened in the PS4 game. <laughs> yeah. You able to fight yeah, the looter. Sucks. That game sucks. Not enough no, looter fights. No looter? There's no looter in the game? Uh, what's your favorite dialogue? I'm going to say, I mean, I love lots of the dialogue. Uh, the same panel where um, Spidey is knocking out the looter and he's complaining about his job. It makes me funny. It makes me laugh. Uh, I'm not even entitled to fringe benefits. I don't get Social Security or paid vacation or even a Christmas bonus, but it has its compensations. I get lots of fresh air on my own boss. Say, I'm not boring you, am I? <laughs> I, I? I love all that. That's a good That's a good dialogue. We, we talked about this before. My favorite was uh, the reveal that he didn't go to, that he'd failed science. <laughs> Just because I flunk science in school doesn't mean I can't discover the secret of the universe. I love it. I mean, I guess it doesn't mean that, but it implies it. Also, yeah. I don't know what you mean by the secret of the universe, Nestor. <laughs> uh, Norton G. Fester, Kevin. Sorry, Not sorry. Fester. Boy, that's the kind of disrespect that made this guy turn to a life of crime. <laughs> uh, what is your highlight? Um, oh, boy. Um I guess my highlight is, oh man, I don't know. Nothing really stands out to me. You well, know, I'll say, only- I'll say that, that, that page just Nestor, uh, sorry, Norton G. Fester, his failed attempts to get funding. That was fun. Okay. It was fun. Okay. Uh, my highlight is the swinging sixties dialogue that's starting to creep in and I want more of it. Okay. What's your low light? Uh, my low light is, well, in general, it's this clipped feel, but uh, I would say, I, I really bugged me that that se- sequence with Sally where Peter um, first blamed it on that. She's only liked him because he was smart and then later doesn't want to get into another Betty Brandt situation. It's it, it really just felt like messy writing. And I expect better yeah. from Stan. It's not like Stan's the greatest author in the world. But up to this point, he's had consistency in most of his books, at least within yeah. the issue itself. Yeah. Uh, I'll say my low light is the unmasking sequence because it's dumb to unmask somebody who's unknown. Yeah, and it's already happened a few times. He did it to Electro and he did it to uh, the Crime Master. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know why they. I think that's a Ditko decision and it's bad. Yeah, it's just don't even have the unmasking. Yeah, or you don't, need don't have a. I mean, I guess, or Stan just don't have a comment. Like, yeah. I'll remove this mask so the uh, cops can see who it is. I mean, the very first Spider-Man story ever, he unmasks a villain and it changes his life because it's the guy that he let run by him. There's significance to it. Uh, yeah. and, when he, and when the Green Goblin gets unmasked, there's significance. Maybe he's but, unmasking going, no, this is not the guy who killed Uncle Ben every time. <laughs> I got to make sure he didn't kill Uncle Ben. Uh, and when he unmasked the big man, it was somebody, you know, Frederick yeah. Oswell. Um, but that's kind of it. Like, it's just sort of dumb otherwise. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a lame master issue. The planner being revealed to be Dr. Octopus is another significant. But there's not like a mask being pulled off. Right, right, right. But yeah, it's a cool moment when it's revealed to Spider-Man. It's a dud of a story. Okay, so that's issue 36. Yeah. Um, do we have any uh, reader mail? We do. We have a few things. All right. Uh, a couple things first on Twitter. Uh, Badger Dave asked us to do an improvised episode as the Enforcers. Done. Um, I'll do a 10 episode series as that. Uh, which would be very fun. And then someone uh, asked uh, at the very least for you to do the Enforcers on Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, I have 
I there's an episode of Comedy Bang Bang coming out where I do I do one of the enforcers. Yes, that's my response. I was like, keep listening to Comedy Bang Bang. A similar character to an enforcer will show up. Yeah, I do. Um, I'll just say it now because yeah, I, plug I plug Comedy Bang Bang. Help out Ackerman. Yeah, <laughs> so Comedy Bang Bang needs our help. They need like another fifteen listeners. Um, <laughs> uh, but um. Because of you know, all the fun of the enforcers, I thought I was going to do like a fancy Dan type character because he's the funniest sounding villain. But I decided that uh, Montana is the funniest dude because all he's got is rope tricks. Like Ox is legit strong. Like that is useful. Yes. And fancy Dan, even though he looks so hilarious, if you just describe somebody as having Kung Fu powers, that actually does sound a little useful. But a guy who's like, I'll help your crime gang. I can do rope tricks. <laughs> yeah. Fancy Dan is a lot the visual and the name. Yeah, so I was like, I, I, I did a, I do a character called Idaho, who's a rope trick master that wants to be into crime, and um, it was okay. <laughs> it was Stay really, tuned to that okay moment on Comedy Bang Bang. It was really fun to, but as usual, it became insane immediately. Um, also, somebody showed us a link that uh, Disney is considering other Marvel characters for their stream because Disney is launching their own streaming service to compete with Netflix and Hulu. Okay, yeah. Uh, so they want to have some more Marvel character shows on that. And uh, people are pointing out it's a great time to pitch the Enforcers TV show. Um, I'll, uh, I'll make some, I'll send some, I'll make some calls today. <laughs> yeah. Disney's looking for a pitch. Uh, beyond that, we've got a couple emails. Uh, I sent you this one from Connor. Okay. Where he uh, compared, he connected Spider-Man and the Beatles pretty directly. Yes. Do you want to talk about that at all or? Um, let me call it up. Do you want to do another one while I call that up? Sure, sure. So I forwarded that to you because it was such a, a Beatles-specific one. Yes. Um, uh, Justin, he's written us a few times before, wrote in because he was mad. I think we referred to the Shocker's powers uh, a few episodes ago as being electricity-based. Yes. Because they're air-powered shockwaves. Um, but mainly the reason I want to talk about his uh, email is that he talks about, we talked about that Peter was living in Chelsea in the juggernaut story yes and he says chelsea in the 80s when this story was written was not great okay some blocks were nicer than others but this was bernie getz era new york and was considered a pretty rough neighborhood so in the 80s this would be excellent for peter to live as he is on a budget love it okay didn't know that Uh, which is what we sort of guessed but we weren't sure so i like having someone who at least says it more confidently yes I, i like knowing that um and it makes sense uh, like a lot of these Marvel artists and writers lived in the New York area, so they usually knew what they were talking about with their New York specifics. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, so the the Beatles email we got, this is from uh, Connor M. and uh, a friend of ours. And we're trying to not use our last names because we feel like people do not want to be – they don't want to be harassed by the millions of fans. Yeah, as as – as we get bigger and bigger uh, and the world becomes more and more enraptured by this podcast, we yeah. can't let our fans – be hounded. We can't let them be doxxed, you know? Yeah. 4chan guys will come after these clowns. So Con- Connor M pointed out that, uh, well, first of all, when we were listing fictional detectives, we left out Jessica Fletcher. We said, oh, we can't think of any female ones. Um, and Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote, of course, is like a famous, huge, iconic fictional detective in the American media. And we did forget that. And that is a good yeah. point. That is, uh, um, yeah. We're white men who don't think about these things. We don't. We, we are... Trying to preserve the patriarchy with, uh, to its last gasp, and yeah. so, but it's true. Like she is equal to like Columbo in terms of like how how huge she was on television and how. I mean, she's probably bigger. Probably bigger, yeah. So it is. Uh, it's we forgot her straight up. Screw yep. Up. And um, 
Uh, now, the ridiculous argument that Connor M. makes, uh, I'm just going to read it. I will also make the ridiculous argument that the Beatles release, Please Please Me, inspired the creation of Spider-Man. Specifically <laughs> that the song, I Saw Her Standing There, inspired Ditko and Lee to write in a young Betty Brent working for the Daily Bugle. And, uh, now, this is Will saying, I think because it's like she was just 17, you know what I mean. So you have this young secretary. Back to Connor's email. Their youthful innocence and dress also inspired Peter's character. Um, and then he says... So that's already insane and not true. But then he follows it and, and continues and says that not only did the Beatles influence Spider-Man, but that Spider-Man influenced the Beatles. And Connor writes, Ditko's creation of Doctor Strange and final issues of Spider-Man had direct impact on the Beatles. Eleanor Rigby, Beatles song, represents the bleak outlook of Peter Parker. Aunt May will eventually die and I'll be left alone. Betty Brand has moved on with Ned and despite its best efforts, crime will continue and he will have had limited impact on the world. Um, but at the same time, Dr. Strange inspires the psychedelic side of the Beatles recordings and change in lifestyle. All right. So this is insane, but I love it. And I will champion this theory until I die. So the Steve Ditko and the Beatles were like kindred spirits that sort of, they were sort of fed like into each other. Answer, and a lot of people have said that the Beatles and the Beach Boys kind of would do albums responding to each other. But really, it was Spider-Man issues and the Beatles. <laughs> there you go. Yep. That really connected your two loves. If you could just get text adventure games and invest involved in all that, you got it. Yeah, if somehow, if somehow George Harrison could create Zork. Uh, all right, so uh, do we have anything else in the letter? We got one last email that I, uh, uh, from Peter. Uh, this is about the Master Planner saga, about, specifically about the final chapter. Okay, issue three. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it all. Okay. Uh, this is a good one. My mother has a chronic illness, and I never realized until your podcast that Spider-Man taking care of Aunt May is something that made me relate to him ever since I was a little boy waiting for my mother to get home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. This was my first time reading the Master Planner saga, and it blew me away. The twist in Man on a Rampage that it was Peter's blood poisoning his Aunt May was something that wrecked me mm. because I never saw it coming. Yep. I wasn't responsible for my mother's illness in any way, but just the thought of it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. I remember going to school just like Peter and having to learn while my mom was in the hospital in a hospital bed. Mm -hmm. I have never felt closer to a fictional person's pain than I did reading this comic book story. I never expected a comic as old as my father to bring me to tears, mm -hmm. but watching Peter do the thing I always dreamed about as a boy got to me. Yeah. I guess every child with a sick relative wishes they could be a superhero that brings them the cure. Yep. But it made me so happy to see that fantasy brought to the page so elegantly by Ditko. Yeah. My mother is much healthier now, but I didn't actually fight the disease for her. Watching Spider-Man save his mother gave me a catharsis I didn't know I needed. I always knew about the sequence where he lifts the machinery, but reading it in context gives it a weight that keeps the drama genuine, genuine especially after all the buildup. Uh and it's great. And that's, we talked about that stuff and it's so great to have somebody else feel that. Yeah. And, and he mean, felt it viscerally. It sounds like. Yeah. And uh, I think Kevin and I felt that same thing for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. I mean, when we first read it, our mom was not sick. No, it was before that. Um, but so it's on but definitely as she got sick, those things feed into each other. And I can't not think about it when I read those stories now. For sure. And you know, like, we, we do love making light of some of the hammier aspects of these Spider-Man stories and they were written for kids and they're written in a hurry. So, but the bones of the stories are often really good. And these pulpy big things like my radioactive blood poisoned my own mother. Um, yes, it sounds like a B movie drama, but there's also truth in it and it works as a story. And that is the power of these old comics is they, 
they take these simple stories and do them really well. So yeah, I mean, as he said, the idea that you could have caused it devastating, is, devastating. It would be devastating to find out. Also, it's something you did. Also, when he says, uh, you know, anybody with a sick relative, a kid with a sick relative, especially wishes they're like a superhero could have the cure or something or wishes to become a superhero. And deliver. I mean, I remember this is the now I'm going to I'm going to make an even crazier, bigger thing. But I remember like on 9-11, like in New York City, right? Like when the towers yeah. are falling and you're like, is there another attack going to happen? And like, who did this? And like, is the Empire State Building safe? And like, what's going on? Uh, I, I remember it went through my head, like not not seriously, but just like. I wish there was a Superman, you know, I wish there was somebody who was just so unbelievably powerful that they could solve it, you know, that they yeah. could like find who it was and just capture them and end it. And I, and I, and I was like, oh yeah, Superman was born in 1939 in the middle of World War II. And there was this huge, scary thing happening and you just, you know, it, it's, it's juvenile in a way, but it's very sensible that you just wish for a superpower force of goodness to set things right. And I and I guess yeah. I guess that is the central appeal of the whole superhero myth that somebody is given enough power to bring justice to an unjust situation. And they make the right choices, they do the right things. Yeah. That even though they're sort of not answerable to anyone, they don't need to be in this case. And if Superman was sort of born in a time of global evil and he is a global power, and so is Captain America. Uh Spidey is sort of the personal and emotional one. It's like, well, who's gonna bring justice to the loneliness and sadness of a teenager's life. Uh, so I guess he's, that's why he sort of evolved the genres. Yeah. Um, I love that letter. Thank he, you for writing. It was really great. He reminds us to keep web slinging. <laughs> uh, and then suggested Bob Odenkirk to play J. Jonah Jameson in a Spider-Man movie. He'd be great. He'd be great. I mean, Bob Odenkirk is a very talented, funny actor. He'd be a great J. Jonah Jameson. I'll make some It'd calls. be tough to top J.K. Simmons, but. Um, no one would be better than J.K. just for channeling exactly how it feels in the comic but odin kirk would would be a great jjj of his own you know, he would he would hold his own for sure yeah uh if if you have if you have uh when you make your enforcer show if you need jonah in there bob odin kirk give him a call yeah <laughs> um that's it that's what we got all right thank you oh and if you want to email us yeah our email address is screw it spidey at gmail.com yeah and uh, we have a Twitter account that's also Screw It Spidey, and there's an Instagram account Screw It Spidey that I really recommend because Kevin is putting up some great, uh, plentiful and well selected uh, screenshots of these comics that we're talking about. And you'll and if you have any if you're any if you're a fan of good art at all, you'll you'll admire Ditko even on his bad days. The guy knew how to draw. Yeah, um, and some of these comments I read were from our Twitter feed, so we definitely are reading that stuff too. So Twitter and email, and um, next issue. Is 37? Yes, yeah, second from the last one. A rampaging Robots. Get, get excited for that, everyone. Get excited for the Rampaging Robots, everybody. Enough said. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hey, this is Betsy Stover. And I'm Amanda Allen. And we do a podcast called Why Mommy Drinks. Each episode, we have a guest and we all share a story of a time that our kids drove us to drink. Parenting isn't easy, but it sure can be funny. Listen to us on Campfire Media. Why Mommy Drinks. Campfire.